0: So this is either the crew that celebrated East Coast New Year's last night, or you guys are just like, hey, we're going to start this year out right, right? And it, it's a little strange being here on New Year's Day, and yet at the same time, it feels absolutely right to be here with my, my church family, getting to begin this year together, worshiping God. And, um, it actually kind of fits in line with where we are headed in our trajectory as a church, but that's a conversation that we're going to begin next week. This week, we actually wanted to finish up a conversation that we began about two months ago. It's one called, uh, we called it the cumulative effect. And if you remember that series, um, we, cumulative simply means something that happens through gradual additions, right? And the word gradual is really the key there. Because we live in kind of an instant access society where everybody wants their results immediately. We don't want to wait for it. We kind of go, hey, if I'm going to change, then God, change me now, rather than recognizing that more often than not, true t- transformation takes place through those little, seemingly innocuous, uh, almost insignificant choices. Choices like, you know, do I order water or soda? Do I. Um, Use that little extra money that I've got to pay down my debt or, you know, am I going to go, you know, out to dinner? Do, do, when I wake up in the morning and I grab my phone, do I open my Bible app or do I open my favorite social media site? Things like that seem like they're insignificant. And yet, day after day after day, those little choices end up altering the, trage- the trajectory of our lives and make a radical difference. We, we, during that series, we talked about the fact that um, we, we just called this the law of sowing and reaping. And we took this from Galatians chapter six. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me there to Galatians chapter six, the very last chapter of that letter, because in it, Paul talks about this law of sowing and reaping this idea that what you plant is what you ultimately get, that the fruit follows the seed. And, and these seeds that we are talking about are things that are easy to do, right? Getting up 15 minutes earlier, choosing to order water, uh, <clears throat> you know, choosing to hold on to that negative criticism and instead speak something that's uplifting and encouraging. But it's also things that are super easy not to do. Kind of giving full vent to what we're thinking or, or hitting the snooze button or whatever it might be. And in Galatians chapter 6, this is what... Paul writes in verse 7, Do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself here. God cannot be mocked. You can't pull one over on him. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Go ahead and stay there because we'll come back in a few moments. So about a month and a half ago, as we were wrapping up the second of those conversations, I gave us a challenge. I said, I want you to identify one area in your life over the next couple of months that you'd like to see some change in. And then I want you to identify one or two little seeds, little things that you could do a little differently that could, using this law of sowing and reaping and the cumulative effect, could have a radical impact in that specific area and try it. Give it the next 52 days and see what happens. And I, I'm curious if there's anybody who did that. And, and I'd just like to give you the opportunity to share a little bit this morning. We're going to do interactive because we're, we are small but mighty. So I may or may not be turned on here. W- had, did anybody actually take me up on that challenge and give this a try? And if so, would you be willing to come on up here? Don? You, you and Jill? You, you want, I can come to you or you? you know, I'll come to you. Doggone it. We're breaking the fourth wall today. <laughs> Here you go. Go ahead and stand
1: up.
2: Well, we didn't <laughs> it wasn't really just from, yeah. from last October, but um one thing that we did and it really was over a five year period, that a good example of taking little steps. Oh, there we there go. go. <laughs> did you guys hear what I said earlier? Okay. Yeah. Um was that about five or six years ago, we were heavily in debt, like about $100,000 in debt related to the recession and both of us kind of losing our jobs in Sacramento. And um, we had $60,000 in car loans and $24,000 in credit card um, when we tried to save our house and it didn't. We couldn't save it, so it looked formidable, like we would never be able to get out of that hole. And we just started paying little bit every month, and that was about six years ago, and in December, we made our last payment. We are now debt-free, and um, that, that includes our cars as well, so there's there's nothing, and it's really nice to know, but I have to say it's because of the Lord, because there were times we had no hope, and, um, and we, you know, admittedly, it was our fault. We did stupid things, and yet in our brokenness and in our weakness, that's when Jesus does his best work.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Anybody else? All right. Yes, Fippers. Uh,
1: we had a similar situation where we we had to pay off $520,000 in, in a partnership that I didn't really... You know, we finally got that paid off. But for years, my wife's had some areas in her health that's not been good. But in the last week, I had to admit to the elders here and that last Sunday I couldn't be here because I had depression. Now, I'm an elder. I should not do that. I should depend on the Lord. But there are sometimes some chemical things within us that need to be corrected. And I had to admit to the elder board on Wednesday morning that I had a problem. Another fellow in the congregation kind of came alongside. So we're going to try to do something to affect that. But it was very humbling experience to have to sit before the elders and say, you know, I, I should be stronger than that. But I just couldn't even come. I went, came in and ushered and then went home. I couldn't even go across the street to my friend's house because I was just feeling low. And at the same time feeling like, you know, I shouldn't be there. I'm supposed to be strong if I'm going to be an elder. But if I'm going to be an elder, I also have to be I have to be honest with Jesus Christ as to where I'm at. And if I need help, uh, I need to reach out for that. My wife's just coming in and uh, so I had to admit to her I, I knew what the problem was and I had to admit it. So I would covet your prayers and for every other person in this congregation that may have that same problem that you step up and admit if you've got some things in your life that aren't right, lay them before Jesus Christ and he either either He is who He is Or he isn't, okay? And every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, I meet up in the cove to pray for our church. If there's anybody in here that would like to join me at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning up in the cove, because Spurgeon said one time the success of his church was 100 people in the basement praying for him. So we need all the prayer we can get for our church in the next year. If you'd like to join me, I'd look forward to having you. Thank you. <laughs> you 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 almost make it sound like
0: like it, it should disqualify you in having depression. And if having it all together is the mark of being worthy to be used, then none of us belong here, and I might as well sit down, and we might as well go home, right? Um, you gave a gift to us on Wednesday in being willing to come out of hiding strip away some of your fig leaves and just say, here's where I'm at. And what it did for the rest of us is it gave us permission to do the same thing. And that was one of my favorite uh, Wednesday morning prayers that we've had in a long time. And to see the way that God used that, you connected with another person who's in the same place, and and getting to see you guys starting to plant some seeds towards some change is really exciting so I, I thank you for that and that is one of the reasons why I feel like you're exactly the right kind of person to be an elder of this church is because you don't have it together but you're willing to admit it and do something about it so.
1: I'm, uh, I'm new here but I know Tom and he uh, I was in deep depression Tom and he came to my door, and he took me out of it. He t- gave me a, a ride in the car. I couldn't drive, but he got me out, and he got me to a men's group. And for three years now, I've been a part of that men's group. And, Tom, you got me out there. So that depression I had is gone, so yours are going to be gone. God can <laughs> do it all. Amen. Nice.
0: Amen. Anybody else? We need to do more of this more often. All right. <clears throat> My guess is, and, and I get it. You know, I, I knew in advance that we probably weren't going to have very many people who were like, hey, yeah, I did it. I took it up because we have a really short attention span. And although we have the best of intentions in here, the moment we walk out, it's kind of like all the baggage that we laid down when we were stepping in here, we kind of pick it right back up and go right back into it. And it is so easy for us to forget. I think that more often than not, my job and Lee's job and Chris's job and anybody's job who stands up here is to remind us of what we already know rather than trying to teach us something new. Because we need to be reminded more often than we need to be taught. And um, I knew coming into here that we were probably going to just have a couple of people who might be able to say, hey, I, I, I took the challenge. Here's, here's some results. And that's okay. Because for the vast majority of us, we probably said, I want to do it, and then we forgot. Or we went the other way. of We, we, we remembered, but we tried it for a couple of days, and, and we didn't kind of see the results that we wanted immediately. and We just went, forget it, right? Um, it's not worth the effort. And so we just went back to our regularly scheduled lives. And it's so easy in moments like that to feel guilt, to feel like I don't measure up, to, to almost avoid And just kind of go, well, this didn't work. And so it almost inoculates us from trying again. And that's why it's no surprise to me, but I love how aware of this tendency to try and fail or to try and not feel like we're seeing any fruit so we want to give up. I love the very next thing that Paul says after reminding us of the law of sowing and reaping that what a man plants he sows. If you sow to please the flesh then from the flesh you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to please the spirit from the spirit you're going to reap eternal life. An intimacy with God. But the very next thing he says in verse 9 is let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time not immediately not immediately But at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if, if we do not give up. You know, when we try something and we fall flat on our faces, we say, I want to change. And then we don't change. We don't see the kind of fruit we want. We go one of two ways. One way is we go, I um, forget it. We, We throw up our hands. Kind of say, it's never going to change. This is just my lot in life. And, and you know, we kind of go back to Netflix to kind of try to anesthetize us or whatever it might be that we use to distract ourselves from that ache that says everything's not okay. Or we go the opposite direction. Well, it didn't work the first time because I obviously was weak, so I just need to try harder. I need to redouble my efforts. It probably many of us can identify with this. This is exactly the posture that the, the Pharisees in Jesus' day took. They recognized their tendency you know, to, to give in to the flesh. And so they said, we want, we are zealous about being transformed people. We are zealous about being righteous people. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to make every effort to be exactly the kind of people that God called us to be. We're going to take the 613 commandments that God has kind of stated throughout the Old Testament. It's interesting how they got to that number, but they found 613. And from that number, they added to it an extra 1,500 rules and commandments and traditions that they used to build a fence around the law, around the rules kind of like some of you who have pools, build a fence around your pool to keep little young ones from wandering in. Great intention. Just an improper execution. Because the reality is that regardless of how hard they tried, regardless of how many rules they put in place, it could never fully keep them from stumbling. And Paul recognized this. You don't have to turn here. But in Colossians, Paul actually addresses... The futility of trying to look to the law, looking to the rules, looking to your own efforts to heal you. This is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom, what with their self imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, we can look to the rules. We can look to the boundaries that we set up for ourselves and the the accountability software that we put on our computers and, and the alarms that we set for ourselves both right next to us and across the room so that we will, you know, wake up at a certain time. But if we are trusting our flesh to do it, if we're looking to those rules to help us overcome our flesh, guess what? You will fail eventually. Because what's going to end up happening is it's going to cause us to take our eyes off of the only one who can help us overcome. And I think of, of uh, Peter getting out of the boat, right? And saying, Jesus said, come to me. And so Peter steps out on the boat and he's walking on the water. And then all of a sudden he starts looking around at the wind of the waves and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. Because he goes, I can't walk on water. And he was absolutely right. He couldn't by himself. Jesus recognized it as well the, the futility of, of that legalism, and in fact recognize that the, the way that it damages or hinders our relationship with him. In Mark uh, chapter 7, he says this, speaking about the, the Pharisees, because he, he, the Pharisees were zealous about keeping the law, and yet it was the Pharisees who Jesus kind of saved his most harsh criticism. They were the ones he railed on the hardest, and here's why. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You are entrusting your righteousness to rules and your own efforts. And in the process, you've taken your eyes off of me placed it onto yourself and you're sinking and you don't even realize it you're separated from me and you don't even realize it i suspect this morning as we look back on 2016 some of you guys made resolutions at the beginning of that year some of you made resolutions throughout the year i'm going to change and as you look back on 2016 if social media is to be trusted every so many people that i've seen is like Oh, I'm so glad 2016's over. 2017, here we go, right? It's going to be so different. But if we plant the same kind of seeds in the same kind of way and don't do anything different, then we're going to find that we have the same kind of fruit. And, and I know 2016 was tough because we lost Carrie Fisher and some other people that were very important to us and all that kind of stuff. Um, whatever. You know, it, but also I think that people are just going, I, this was not, this, I'm not where I'm at I want to be. I'm not who I want to be. I want to be different. And yet when I try to be different, I don't act differently. How can I change? Giving up isn't an option if we hope to see change. But simply redoubling our efforts is not an option either. Because as we've seen from scripture, it's, it's futile. So what is the answer? Some of you guys are going, I know the answer. The answer is Jesus. Because the answer is always Jesus to these kind of questions, right? There's some truth to that. And yet, I want to clarify what I mean by that. Because if we simply approach Jesus being the answer as if he is some secret sauce that you add to your life in order to make it all go smoothly... kind of like the, the father did in my big fat Greek wedding, the way he used Windex on everything. It's the, it is the fix-all, or like Robin does with doTERRA oil, right? It fixes everything. Your engine's not running well, just stick a little bit of that and it'll clear right up. Total, don't tell her I said that, Mark, please. Know. I know she will. Oh, well. It's a battle for another day. If we begin to approach Jesus as a panacea, something that can fix all of our ills, we will completely miss the point because he is not a panacea. Rather, he's a person. And this matters. Because if we view him as a panacea, then we're going to treat him kind of like a cosmic vending machine. God, Jesus, I really want a better car. Make that happen for me, in Jesus' name. Jesus, I really want to get in shape this year, so please just help the pounds melt away, in Jesus' name. I want a better job. I want to raise Jesus. Make that happen in Jesus' name. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better follower. Jesus, 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 amen. And I know that we probably are going, yeah, not really. But how many of us actually approach him that way? As if he is simply some vending machine? that can give us what we want. And in order to make the vending machine work, we have to put in our coin, we have to pay for it, so we turn our faith into religion. We do the right things. I'm going to read the Bible this morning, because if I do that, that'll be a coin in there. I'm going to, I'm going to tithe this year. I'm going to try to do that. I might even give 11% just to kind of like get a little extra coinage out of that one. I'm going to show up to church at least, I'm going to show up on New Year's Day. Doggone it, that's got to be worth at least 50 cents of spiritual coinage in my (laughs) vending machine. My car won't break down for the next three months because I showed up today. My kids will totally get along with one another and and won't get sick because I'm here, right? When we view Jesus as a panacea, as some vending machine. We subtly suggest to ourselves we control him. All we have to do is the right hoops, obey the right religious rules, and he has to kowtow to us. But when we recognize that Jesus is a person, not a normal person, but a person like us who who took on flesh walked amongst us, experienced life in this broken world, experienced temptation, although he didn't give in to it, and ultimately sacrificed his life for us, but then was raised from the dead and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us when we recognize that he is a person who is not only our Savior, but also wants to be and calls us to call him Lord. Lord meaning we submit our lives to him, when we recognize he's that person, then suddenly all of our religious actions take on a completely different feel. Our prayers are not just empty things that we say, you know, like the liturgy that you just kind of memorize. Maybe you guys have one of those prayers that you do at each meal, and it's the same one you do every day, and you don't even listen to the words you say anymore. You're just on autopilot. It shifts from that to being a conversation. And in a conversation, it's give and take. You're not only sharing the things that you're hoping and desiring and thinking, but you're also listening and allowing him to speak. Our Bibles shift from being tantamount to like the instruction manual for our IKEA furniture. Nobody really gets excited about reading that. And if you have a Y chromosome, you pretty much want to like throw that thing aside and try to do it on your own as a, you know. And then you realize that that was a stupid idea. And you pick it up because you have to do it, but you don't want to do it. But if he is a person, then we recognize that this is God's word spoken to us, it's living and active, it's not dead and cold. And it is utterly relevant for our life because this reveals to us the heart of our Father. And through this, he speaks to us today in the most relevant of ways. Even our, our, our time in the word begins to change. And so this morning I have one point. And that is if we truly want to see change in this new year, if we want to become people who are different than who we are now, then we need to be willing, not necessarily to plant different seeds, but to plant those seeds in soil that is different and to trust our Father God, to lean into a relationship rather than trying to hold on to a cold, dead religion. didn't work for the Pharisees, and it won't work for us. So in the coming weeks, we are going to be exploring in greater detail what it looks like to follow Jesus, give our heart to Him, become His disciples, and love Him with all of us, all of our being. But this morning, there are just four Little points that I want to tease out of this four thoughts that I have as we move into this new year. Thought number one. If you have your outlines, there's it's on the back side. We're moving quickly. We're not going to be here long today. Point number one fruit is a product of our connection rather than the other way around. You guys know John 15. Jesus basically said, I'm the vine, You're a branch. If you abide in me or you remain in me, you stay connected to me, and I remain in you, then you'll bear fruit, all kinds of fruit. But if you try to do this on your own apart from me, good luck. You'll have nothing of any lasting value. And the reminder for us, we we tend to think that if we want to have a closer relationship with God, if we want a solid connection to the vine, then we have to do certain things to earn that connection, right? As if our productivity leads to our connectivity. But for those of you who have any sort of planting experience or have ever seen how things grow, it goes just the opposite direction, doesn't it? Our productivity is a product of our connectivity. And so long as we stay connected, then slowly, gradually, but it, you know, it's inextricably... Throw that word out. It, it is tied to the fact that we are connected to the vine, that we produce anything. And that's the point of John 15. One, a passage I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time in, time and time again this year, because it is so foundational to our relationship with God. If you're not connected, you're not going to be producing any fruit that lasts. And if you think that you have to do certain things, jump through certain hoops, be a certain way in order to earn the right to be connected, this is the mindset of saying, I've got to get my depression under control so that I'll be worthy. No, 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 no. You are worthy. You are a son. You are a daughter of God, not because of anything you've done but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And because of that, now in the midst of a broken world with broken bodies that don't always do what we hope that they will do, we can simply follow him step by step as others come alongside of us both to encourage and be encouraged by us as we journey through this broken world. Our productivity is tied to our connectivity, not the other way around. Point number two, come as you are. We so often think that we need to be a certain way in order to be acceptable. And so when we stumble, and we all stumble, if you haven't stumbled yet this year, you will. Just give it a little bit of time. And so often when we do that, then like a wounded dog, we go hide, right? We, we either go under the porch or we go out into the, the in, into the forest around us and we start licking our wounds. We try to clean ourselves up. And then once we've got ourselves put together, we come slinking back in. And the reminder here is we have a father in heaven who loves us so much that he says, no, 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 don't clean yourself up in order to be worthy to come to me. Come to me so that I can clean you up. The illustration that, I, that just really resonates for me of the ridiculousness of ourselves our trying to clean ourselves up before we come to God is like what some of you guys, for the first time, maybe having somebody come and clean your house, right? Maybe for Christmas, uh, your, your spouse goes, I have hired a house cleaner to come and clean up the house for you. And you go, Great! But I'm so embarrassed, I don't want that person to see how terrible my house is. So you start running around, putting stuff away, vacuuming, so that it'll look good for the house cleaner who's coming specifically to clean the house. Come as you are. Let God clean you up. Not the other way around. Point number three. These are just things for us to remember, things we will, we will explore in greater detail in the coming weeks and coming months. Point number three. It takes two. In, as in any relationship, it takes two. It's not a 100% 0%. It is a 100% 100% kind of a thing. So often we think, it's all on me. I've got to do it. I've got to make myself worthy of God. Or we think, all right, God, fix me, and I will wait here for you to do it. What's on TV? And the reminder here is that it requires effort on our part and effort on God's part. Paul got this. You don't have to turn here. But this is one of my favorite passages. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. This is what Paul says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation. You already made some efforts. You've already said, denied your flesh in some ways. Now continue to do that. Continue to lay down your desires with fear and trembling. Why? It, it because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I'm going to read that whole thing one more time so you see this dualism of we have a part and God has a part. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Can we change ourselves by our own strength? No. Is God going to simply change us through no effort of our own? Probably not. He can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But man, is it difficult to steer a parked car. So are we willing to participate in this with him? Are we willing to bring ourselves to the table and say, I will try. God, help me. Give me the strength. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Join me in the midst of this last point I call this one just blessing God month and a half ago when I gave that challenge to you guys to to make a small choice that would have potentially radical fruit play out in your life I'm often challenged like the things that I'm talking about are things I need to hear and this is one of those things I needed to hear and for me I said okay if I'm going to give you the challenge I need to do it myself what do, where do I want to see growth and for me, the big one was I want to be a better spiritual shepherd of my family, particularly over my boys. Because I don't have them for very long. So how can I model for them? How can I train them up in, in their relationship with God so that when they move out of the house, they've got that foundation? And so the, the little seed that I chose to plant, and I kind of fell into this one, was, you know What? I may spend time with God, but I typically either do it at the church when I get in or in my bed or or, or somewhere else. And the boys aren't seeing that. I want them to see their father in the word regularly. I want them to see their dad praying. I want them to be invited into that. And so I made a little choice that I was going to wake up before they got up and I would be sitting on the couch so that when they got up, and we have a, in our family, my boys will wake up early. Like Grayson's 435, he's good. He's ready to be up. So we have a little clock that turns green at 6.30. He's not allowed to get out of bed until that clock turns green, which is great. I've checked on him at 5.15 a.m., and he's sitting in his bed on his knees staring at the clock. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, those are like lots and lots of psychologist bills in the future that we're going to have to deal with. The color green is going to, like, cause him to start. Anyway, so we have this clock. I know... To the dot when my son, at least Grayson, will wake up. Ethan's a little bit later riser. So I make a point of being on that couch, being in the Word, when Grayson comes out. And I know when he's coming because it's like a little pitter-patter. And he comes out looking like a trolley doll that's been run over by a car. His hair is up here and his face is kind of like mangled from the pillow and he's just kind of wandering out. And I don't care what I'm doing. But the moment I see my boy, I put my Bible to the side and go, come here, buddy. I'll turn off the light behind me because I don't want it to be too bright. And I just open my arms and he climbs up into my lap and just melts into me. And I just get to hold my boy. And typically for about two minutes or so of silence. There's not a word that's shared with us, but we are, we are communicating our love to one another in those moments. And then typically after about two minutes, he goes, you read, you read the Bible to me? Yeah, buddy. So I'll grab my Bible and wherever I was at, I'll start reading it wh- where I was at to him. And, and he's five. He doesn't understand most of what I'm saying. I'll try to explain a little bit. But I just share with him. And if he has something he wants to talk about or ask, we'll talk. And then after about seven to ten minutes, he starts getting squirmy. And I go, okay, go see mommy. And he'll run downstairs and go snuggle with mommy. Get out of here. And typically, more often than not, it happens at the moment. Grayson goes running downstairs. I hear boom, 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 boom. That would be Ethan. He's my rhinoceros. And he kind of comes walking. to. Hey, Dad, how you doing? And he'll climb up next to me and kind of snuggle in and I'll put my arm around him and he'll share about a dream he had or whatever it might be. He'll just kind of share what's on his mind or a question that he had from the night before that he went to bed with and he woke up with. And then I'll grab the Bible and wherever I was at, I will read to him. And he's eight, so he's understanding more. So then I'll engage him. I'll ask him, so what, what do you think that was asking? And We'll do that for about five to ten minutes. That has become to me my favorite time of the day, bar none. doesn't matter what happens in my day, that's my favorite. It's something I look forward to virtually every morning. I make a point. I used to go to the gym in the morning. I've stopped doing that for the most part because I want to be there at 6.30 when they wake up out of bed. And a couple of weeks ago, as I was thinking about that moment, I realized this must be how God feels when we wake up in the morning. Our faces mangled from the pillow. Sleep still in our eyes. Our brains still trying to kind of wake up. And we climb up in his lap. And kind of blurry-eyed, we pull out our phones and we try to read whatever the thing is that day. or, Or we grab our Bibles and go analog version, right? Some of you still do that. And we just spend some time. Or maybe we just share what's on our mind or something that's been processing, something that's been weighing heavily. And and, and quite often, probably a lot of the time, we don't even fully understand the words that we're reading. Kind of like Grayson doesn't understand everything I'm saying. But I just imagine that that's how God feels as we climb onto his lap and want to spend time. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He puts it to the side and says, come here. I've been looking forward to this all night long. And that begins to set the stage for a day spent in connection, communion, with our Father. Recognizing that He's in every moment, not just that moment, not just the moments when we acknowledge His presence during our prayer at breakfast or lunch or dinner or when we're going to bed. He's in every moment and He gets to be Lord of everything, not just the things that we, you know, not just on Sunday mornings between 10 and 11, 15. He wants to be Lord of it all. So here's my encouragement to us. This year, as we begin to look to a new year, and for some of us, hopefully, it will be a better year. As we begin to look to this year, my encouragement to us is that we would not simply try to plant seeds of, of resolutions and water them by our own strength and do the same things we did last year and expect a different outcome. This year, may we focus primarily on our foundation, on our relationship with Jesus, may we not ch- choose a religion over a relationship, because Jesus did not come to inaugurate a religion. He came to restore a relationship between us and our Creator, who also is our Father and who loves us. That's the point of the cross, is that He made relationship with our Father in heaven possible again. He didn't just come to bring rules. So in the back, some of you may go, hey, one of the things I want to do this year is I want to kind of shore up the foundation of my life. I want to hide his word in my heart so I don't sin against him. Maybe I want to kind of tackle some of scripture and I haven't been doing it. I don't know how to do it. I've got three different reading plans for you in the back. Two of them are for reading through the Bible in a year. One of them is just kind of straight through. Another one of them is chronological based upon kind of how they were written so if you're interested in that, that's great. If you're like, oh, that's a little much. I want to start a little smaller. How about just the New Testament this year? I've got a New Testament reading plan in the back. And grab that. Or you can, again, use you version. Maybe that is one little seed that you can plant this year. Now, if you fall off, if you miss a day, do not just throw up your hands and say, I'm done. And don't redouble your efforts and, and try to make up for it. Just, just come. Climb up in his lap. Spend some time with them. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm also going to just encourage us during this time right now. I don't know what God is saying to you. But if you have carried something in here this morning that you want to lay down, you just kind of want to confess to him, you can just do that by yourself or I'm going to ask some of our elders and their wives to stand up and co- a couple of you go to the back and if a couple of you guys would come to the front. And we're just going to be available. If you want prayer for anything, maybe it's a prayer of confession. Maybe it's a prayer because you don't know what this year holds, but you're afraid of something because there's something that has been looming that's been kind of overshadowing everything. Tom, I'm actually going to ask you and Terry to come up here. If you've been struggling with depression, perhaps go and, and pray with him as another person in this journey who's struggling with something. If you just want to sit where you're at and have a conversation with God, Awesome. If you want to sing these words as the cry of your heart, awesome. But let's just take some time now and respond. As prodigals who have been welcomed home. As sinners who have been saved and called saints. Not because of our worthiness, but because of Christ's sacrifice. All right. Jesus, would you... Guide our time and would you be honored and glorified in this? We pray. In your holy name, amen. There is nothing worth more that will ever come close, nothing can compare. Your live.